Hi, it's me, Sophia Amoruso, host of Girl Boss Radio, founder and CEO of Girl Boss. And before we get to this episode with Marie Forley, I want to talk just a little bit about Zoom. Zoom, oh my God, my calendar, like literally every meeting I have is a Zoom meeting. A lot of our team works remotely sometimes. We work remotely on Fridays. I actually have a Zoom call, video call right after this recording. Um, so with Zoom, every day is a little bit better. It's the web's best-reviewed video conference service used by millions to meet one-on-one or hundreds at a time. Zoom video conferencing lets you connect face-to-face with anyone across town or around the world with flawless video, clear audio, and instant sharing of files, video, anything, and you can connect through any device. It's so easy. Desktop, laptop, tablet, smartphone, or conference room system. So if you're not using Zoom communications, my only question for you is why not? Visit Zoom online, set up a free account today, and try the most affordable and most reliable video communications solution on the market. Meet happy with Zoom. Hi, I'm Sophia Amoruso, founder and CEO of Girl Boss, and this is Girl Boss Radio, the show for and about ambitious women, exploring the wins, losses, and insights learned on the winding road to success. We always have incredibly accomplished women on the podcast, and today's guest is no exception. Her name is Marie Forleo. Yes, that Marie Forleo. She's incredible. She's so incredible, in fact, that Oprah actually named Marie as a thought leader for the next generation. After today's conversation, I think you'll understand why. Marie has built a remarkable career and a thriving business that spans a lot of different mediums and platforms. She hosts Marie TV, the Marie Forleo podcasts. She runs an online business training program called B-School. And she also has a new book that's just come out called Everything is Figureoutable. It's where she shares her tips for how we can all dream big and put in place a plan of action so we can create measurable results. I guess you could say Marie is an expert in personal self-development, which is a term we can all understand today. But when Marie was first starting her journey as a life coach, it was a new career path and it required a lot of explaining. So the logical part of my brain said, this is nuts. You're 23 years old. Who the hell is going to hire a 23-year-old life coach? You haven't even lived life yet. You keep quitting your jobs. You're in debt. You have no value to offer anyone. This is nuts. And how cheesy is the term life coach? At the same time, something in my body was like, yes, this is who you are. Like, this is what you're meant to do. I'm excited to get to our conversation with Marie, so stay tuned. We talk about how she used to bartend and wait tables while she worked on her business at night. And she also shares some pointers to help us navigate those moments when we're feeling afraid of diving into a new project. You don't want to miss this one. Here's our conversation. Marie, thank you so much for coming on Girl Boss Radio. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's so nice to see you. Anytime we can have an unadulterated hour. Unadulterated? Uninterrupted? All of it. Hour together? Let's just keep, let's go with it. Yeah. So I want to talk, I want to talk about your career, uh, who you were before we knew you as the Marie Forleo. We all have a start. Yeah. So I, I'm guessing you weren't a coach, a life coach or an author in high school, college. No. 
When did you have your first job and what was it? So my super first job was actually uh, babysitting for this woman named Janice around the corner from me in New Jersey when I was like nine. So I was a very young babysitter. And I should have known um, back then that I was kind of meant to do some interesting things because I wasn't even just satisfied with babysitting the kids. She and her husband were having this party and I pitched her on me being the DJ for this party. And this is back in the day when it was all CDs. And she was like, yeah. And I was like, well, can I get paid a little more money for that? And she's like, absolutely. And then I remember this other time babysitting for the same family. I asked her, I said, hey, you know, when the kids are sleeping, do you want me to go through all of your makeup and like clean it out and organize it? So I kind of upsold her on... (laughs) some additional services and she was into it so that was my first gig and did you did you go on to um continue organizing for people no that was just scale that business not at all that was just me being like super babysitter for janice in new jersey but you also worked some jobs in the corporate sector. I'm oh, yeah. Guessing a little bit later on. A little bit later on. Like once I actually got through school, um, my first gig was on Wall Street on the New York Stock Exchange as a trading assistant. So that was like my first kind of ever real professional job after college. And I loved it because I'm a human who has a lot of energy. And on the floor at that time, there was literally no seats. So you don't sit down the entire day. You're just running around like crazy. And it's super fun and exciting. And, um, you know, the folks that I work with, first of all, it was practically all men, like oh, yeah. 99.9%. I've been there. Yeah. So, you know, and um, and that was fine initially, but, you know, as a 21 year old, it was like getting constantly hit on, you know, the the four o'clock bell would ring and it's like, oh, let's go hit the strip clubs and do lines of coke. And I'm like, this is not me. Like, this is not my life. And even though they made bajillions of dollars, they did not appear to be happy to me. Like all I would hear about is these two weeks every year that they were kind of like looking forward to that vacation time. And my heart, this inner still voice inside of me was like, this isn't who you are. This isn't what you're meant to do. This isn't who you're meant to be. And that voice just kept getting louder and louder and louder until I practically had a panic attack on the floor one day. I like came in and I was trying to put that game face on of just like showing up and doing work. As an aside... I'm the first person in my family to ever go to college. And so I don't come from a wealthy family. So you have a solid job. Like you be grateful for that job. And you're not about to quit that job, especially after you just graduated from college. But uh, one day I was on the floor and I started feeling dizzy and had trouble breathing and just didn't know what was happening, like was feeling physically ill. And I told my boss, I was like, hey, I need to run out and get a coffee real fast. And instead of getting a coffee... I got, um, I basically made a beeline to the nearest church, which was Trinity Church. And I just sat on the steps and I bawled my eyes out because I felt so horrible that here I was understanding that I should be grateful to have a job. And I was, but I wanted to quit because I was so miserable and I knew that was not my life path. I think a lot of us have been there and we don't know how to get out of that. Right. And in the end, it is figure outable. We, we don't stay on those stairs. Right. And we do stop crying. Everything changes. You know, I think about anytime I'm having a hard time, just casting myself into a year from now and being like, oh my God, you were worried about that? Seriously? <laughs> and then just reminding myself of that feeling, just like laughing at the stupid stuff that I was worried about. Yeah. Um, how did you get yourself out of that and what did you do next? Yeah. So in that moment, because, uh, you know, I was raised Catholic and I had just been to a Catholic university that was like my go to in a crisis was to ask 
God for help, right? So the first clue I got when I was crying on the steps was call your father because he had worked his butt off to put me through school. And part of my fear was just being disrespectful or being a disappointment. Do you know what I mean? After they had sacrificed so much for me. So I called my dad and I was bawling. And when I took a breath and he interrupted, he's like, Ray, calm down. You've been working since you were nine. I'm not worried about you keeping a roof over your head or putting food on your table. Like you'll be fine. He said, but look, you're going to work for the next 40 to 50 years of your life. You have got to find something you love. That's the whole secret to life in general. You have to find something you love. And clearly this isn't it. So if you're this sick and you're this upset, quit and do whatever whatever it takes to find something you love and don't stop looking until you find it. So that was kind of like a mini permission slip that said, okay, if my dad's, you know what I mean? It just felt right in my bones. But I didn't know how to find something I love. Like that even felt kind of preposterous, to be honest, because we don't have any education on this. Yeah, we're supposed to go find our passion at like 22. Yeah. And then do it for the rest of our lives. And that's going to make us so much money. And it's not that simple. It's not that simple. And we really don't have any tools. And we're not really having conversations or dialogues as we're growing up in terms of like, what are we good at? You know, what are we, um, where are our strengths? Where are our talents? Where are our interests? How do you actually translate those things into a career that, Um, not only makes a living, but helps you make a difference. Like none of those conversations happen. So my only clue was to look inside. Okay, what do I love? I was always highly creative. So as a kid, I talked about like maybe being an animator for Disney or a fashion designer or a fine artist. But I also really loved business. And I really loved marketing. My dad was a small business owner. And so there was that whole aspect of the world that I loved. So I thought to myself, well, how do I combine these two things? Oh, I know. Magazine publishing. There's the advertising side and then there's the edit side. So I hustled at a temp agency and they put me in a position to be an ad sales assistant at Gourmet Magazine under Condé Nast Publishing. And I was like, yes, this is it. Yum. Um, First of all, no longer working with 99.9% men who are always hitting on me. Second of all, my boss was this incredible woman, so smart, so kind. And the publisher of the magazine was also a really powerful, amazing woman. I'm like, okay, this is great. Here was the nice little aside. I'm Italian and I love to eat and my desk was right near the test kitchen. So the editors would bring me snacks all day long and I'm like, how does work get better than this? This is amazing. Sadly, though, about six months into that gig, that same voice came back. This isn't what you're meant to do, Marie. This isn't who you're supposed to be. And I was starting to feel panic. I'm like, what's wrong with me? Why don't I want to stay in any job? How old were you? This was still about like 22-ish. Oh, my God. That should happen every six to eight months when you're 22. Yeah, but it felt, I think as a person, I am so committed and I'm so into like consistency and I have such a strong work ethic that it was warring with that inside of me. And um, my clue is this. I didn't want to become my boss. I couldn't imagine myself as an account executive. And then when I looked even further down the line, I didn't want to become my boss's boss, the publisher. Like that just did not sound appealing to me. So I was like, okay, well, if I don't want to climb this corporate ladder, why am I still going to stay here wasting their time and mine? So I thought, okay, maybe I've just gone way too far into the business side of things. I need to flex my creative muscles. I went to HR and finagled my way into Mademoiselle magazine in the fashion department. So I was like, okay, this has got to be it. 
right? I'm going to get to go to fashion shows. I'm going to get to meet with new designers. I'm going to help with layout. It's going to be amazing. So I started that position. And it was awesome for a few months because it was novel and it was new and it was exciting. But then those voices came back again. And I'm telling you, Sophia, I felt so broken. I was like, what is wrong with me? All of my friends are getting promotions. They're all building these lives. And here I am wanting to quit my job again. And what didn't make sense was this. I graduated as the valedictorian of my class. So I knew I had some semblance of intelligence. Yeah, but <laughs> I think so. But here I was like, I can't do this. I just got to walk out. I got to get out of here. I think it's called integrity. That's okay. (laughs) (laughs) But at that age, it just was so confusing. It was so confusing. And there was one day when I was on the internet, probably when I shouldn't have been, and I stumbled across an article about a new profession at the time. You got to get this was 1999. And it was a new profession called coaching. No one had ever really heard of it. No one had talked about it. It certainly wasn't mainstream like it is right now. And when I read that article, Sophia, something in my heart opened up like never before. It was like the clouds parted and little angels came out and shot sunbeams into my eyes. And it was like, oh, so the logical part of my brain said, this is nuts. You're 23 years old. Who the hell is going to hire a 23-year-old life coach? You haven't even lived life yet. You keep quitting your jobs. You're in debt. You have no value to offer anyone. This is nuts. And how cheesy is the term life coach? At the same time, something in my body was like, yes, this is who you are. Like, this is what you're meant to do. I signed up for a three-year coach training program that all happened um, remotely. And I stayed at my Mademoiselle gig during the day fast forward about six months, I get a call from the HR department. There was a promotion at Vogue. So they wanted to give me a better job with more pay, more prestige. And so I really had this choice. Do I stay with the steady paycheck and the health benefits and a respectable career? Or do I quit and do this weird ass thing called life coaching that no one had ever heard of and that I was even doubtful about, yet it felt right. So that's when I quit my job. I was about 23. And um, I started bartending and waiting tables at night so I could figure out how to build my business during the day. Was that scary? I was terrified. But here's the thing. Because I had hit so many walls, like I had quit Wall Street. I had quit the advertising side. I had quit the editorial side. I went through so much kind of mental anguish um, about failing at all of these other things that this, I just had to do it because I didn't have any other choice. So a lot of people ask, you know, okay, I have this side hustle. I want to do this life coaching thing, for example. Sure. But I do need to pay my rent. How do I know when I can go take that on full time? That's a Um, really important and a big question. And I think that you have to, obviously, there's not one clear cut answer or formula because everyone's at a different stage of life. Everyone has different financial responsibilities or personal responsibilities. You know, do you have children yet? Don't you? Are you responsible for caregiving in terms of parents or other people, pets, um, a spouse? There's so many different factors that can go into it. But I think, you know, having a really clear understanding of your finances is key. I also think for me, you know, I had side gigs, Sophia, and was doing different jobs for seven years after I quit, before I went full-time into the business that I now have today. So um, I am a person who likes 
to feel really comfortable in terms of knowing the finances of what's coming in, understanding that I need to keep a roof over my head, and I'm very, very patient. So I'm about the long term, not the short term. So I'd say for anyone listening, you have to understand your financial reality. And you have to go through some worst case scenarios. Like what happens if you go for this thing and it doesn't work? Are you cool with that? Are you cool with understanding that you might have to get another job again and pivot, try something new and go back to it? Um, So I know that that's not like a clear cut formula, but I do think that people can, with doing some number crunching and doing some introspection, find their own place where they're like, okay, this is scary as hell, but I'm ready to make the leap. I think that's interesting because that's the exact same thing that we do with business, which is how much money do we have? How long is our runway? What is our cash position? Number one, do no harm. Yep. You know, know that what you're doing is for the greater benefit of the enterprise and for the organization above any individual's preferences, as uncomfortable as that can, can be, even above my own preferences, which means making unpopular decisions, which can even disappoint yourself and saying, you know, telling yourself, hey, I really would like to do this sooner, but I can't. It's unpopular with me, but that's my reality, and that's right okay. Now. Exactly. You know, there's a great study that was done um, fairly recently in terms of entrepreneurship and people like either going all in. I think there's this false narrative out there that if you're not doing your kind of thing full time, that you're not a real entrepreneur. There was one study that found that those folks who kept their day jobs or had other sources of income while they started a business are 33% less likely to to fail. So understanding your own risk averseness, I also think is huge. And I'll touch on this really quickly. So what do I mean by risk averseness? Some people that I've met throughout the years, both as clients and just friends and colleagues, they thrive when the pressure is on, right? So when it's like they have to perform, they have to close that sale. You know, there's no way they're going to eat unless they close this big contract. Some people rise in those situations and that's beautiful. There's other of us, and I would put myself in the second category, who we wilter in those kind of situations. Like I didn't want to be desperate for life coaching clients. In my own mind, I was like, what is more pathetic than a desperate life coach? Nothing. So I am going to earn a living with bartending, waiting tables, teaching dance and fitness so that I don't need clients. They don't feel this desperation from me and they know I only want to be there to help change their lives. And that allowed me to grow a huge amount of confidence so that when I knew that the business, the numbers made sense, I had enough marketing going, I had enough momentum, then I could make that transition to full time and, um, still be aligned with my own risk averseness. So if you listen to Girl Boss Radio, I know you like to learn. And that's why I know you'll love Skillshare. Girl Boss is brought to you by Skillshare today. And if you don't know what it is, Skillshare is an online learning community with thousands of classes for creators, entrepreneurs, and curious people. Like all of us, you can take classes in animation, creative writing, UI and UX design, photography, graphic design, freelance and entrepreneurship, productivity, I think I need that one, web development, crafts. I've been taking an animation class because my boyfriend's an animator and I want to understand what the hell he does and it's been pretty awesome. You know lifetime learning is important for all of us. It's something I'm committed to and Skillshare is a place where we can do that 
they make it super duper easy to learn, which is like learning's hard enough, so just make it as easy as possible. You can join the millions of students already learning on Skillshare today with a special offer just for our listeners. Get two months of Skillshare for free. That's right, Skillshare is offering Girlboss Radio listeners two months of unlimited access to thousands of classes for free. To sign up, go to Skillshare.com slash boss. Again, go to Skillshare.com slash boss to start your two months now. That's Skillshare.com slash boss. Okay, now let's get back to our chat with Marie. When did you get your first client? What was that like? And what what was your services? Was it just pure one-on-one life yeah. coaching, book an hour with me? Totally. That was the beginning. Like that was the very beginning. And I coach people for free in the beginning. I coached friends, colleagues, like anyone who would let, like I would coach a dog if a dog would let me because I was so passionate about everything I was learning in my training and then wanting to make sure that I could help people achieve results. So that's how I did it. But some of my other clients, you want to know how I got some of my first clients was from um, practicing at Toastmasters. Oh, wow. Because I was terrified of public speaking and um, didn't think I was very good at it at all. And so I would do these talks, which is what you do when you go to Toastmasters. And then people that I would meet there, I would even get um, bartending clients to be coaching clients so they would come from wherever I could find them come cry cry over alcohol totally no there's a better way totally I'm like (laughs) I could help you with this but not with another drink so I want to get you have a book coming out very shortly yes um will probably have been out by the time a lot of people listen to this episode and I want to get into that but you've this is 20 1999 20 years ago when you discovered life coaching yes you've you're kind of a pioneer here yes uh you've evolved with the times you've built a massive very multifaceted business you do a lot of things yeah. yeah so I'd love to learn just more about like what does your business look like today so it's really an online education company and a training company so the business looks like from a revenue perspective um you know our flagship program is called b school online business school for modern entrepreneurs i started it over a decade ago and it was really born out of the fact that when i was trying to figure out how to grow my business in those early 2000s before any you know online business wasn't a thing back then i would go to these conferences sophia and once again i found myself in the area where it was 99.9 percent men both in the audience and also on the stages manol they're called manols <laughs> so i would sit there in the audience and listen and the guys would often talk about customers like they were nothing more than numbers on the bottom of a balance sheet it just felt so heartless there was no style there was no aesthetic there was no humor there was no um, tying something back to a greater purpose and i'm like this sucks like there's it doesn't feel like my expression of what business could be simultaneously I was traveling around the world as a Nike dance athlete, and I would meet these incredible women. We can go there if we want in a moment. But I meet these women. They're like, oh, my goodness. You know, I subscribe to your newsletter. I love what you do. Tell me, how are you able to make all this work? And I would talk to them about the fact that I understood marketing and sales. They're like, oh, I have an idea for something, but I want someone else to do the marketing and sales. I, I'm i just no good at it. I don't want to feel like you as car salesman. And I'd want to shake the shit out of them because I'm like, no, 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 stop. You know, marketing and sales is the lifeblood of any business. I can show you how to do this ethically. You don't have to feel like a used car salesman. So anyway, I'm telling this story because B-School was born out of me feeling so frustrated seeing what small business education was available at that time. And then 
also seeing all of these women holding themselves back because they didn't understand the business side of business. They just wanted to be the creative. They just wanted to share something, but the numbers and the conversions and all of those aspects were just like foreign. And I said, I can solve this problem. So that's when I created B-School. So B-School is this online educational program. We've now had over 55,000 graduates um, spanning 171 countries, like I think it's over 467 different industries from flower farmers to app makers to fashion designers to authors to consultants, you know, you name it. We've we've had people through the program. So that's one aspect of what the business looks like. I'm sorry. Am I exhausting you? No, not at all. I'm just like, I know I'm so fascinated. Oh, OK. Cool. And I know that's a huge business. Yeah. It's like there are other huge businesses that you have. Yeah. So, well, Marie TV is our um, that's kind of our content platform and the Marie Forleo podcast. So that's probably been around now for like nine years. Um, But I've been creating weekly content for almost 20 years. Like the first bit of it was just the weekly newsletter. Want to hear a cheesy title? Yeah. So my cheesy title of my newsletter when I first started, it was called Magical Moments. We have something even worse. It's called Girl Boss Moments. <laughs> yours isn't which as I'm cheesy ask as mine. You yours at the end. Yours at the end. But I think that's okay. Yeah. So it's, we we improve. We improve. We evolve over time. Everything I do is usually born out of me seeing a problem and wanting to come in and support and and give people tools and ideas to help overcome that problem. Help them figure it out. That's right, girl. Um. So you mentioned email, and that was that was back when I mean email was. Either, there were no like filters and no, no, like you were in someone's inbox, you're at the top of their inbox. That was that. And you know that I used to bring a yellow legal pad to the bar and people would ask me what else I did besides bartending. And I would pull out my yellow, my yellow legal pad and I would tell them about my newsletter and I would have them sign their name and their email. That's how I started building my email list. Email is still really important. And I don't know if everybody understands that because, you know, we're in the age of Instagram and, you know, all of these other platforms where we can build our business, which I know you're using. Is email still important? Oh, my goodness. So if I can give everyone listening right now one of the biggest kind of smackdowns, and I hope people will hear this with love. Email is the most underestimated marketing channel. I have people come in sometimes and they'll be like, oh my God, I've built my whole business on Instagram. Isn't it great? I'm like, no, it's not. Because you do not own the connection with your customers there. You are making yourself so vulnerable. Your business can go away like this. People underestimate email because they don't know how to do it right. They're like, emails don't get through. I'm like, that's because you're writing shitty emails. Your email subject lines suck. You're not delivering value. You're not making people actually want to hear from you. There's an art to it like everything else. But to build your platform, to build your business on someone else's platform that you don't own, that if they change the algorithm, they change the terms of service, who knows? knows what happens. Your whole business goes away. I mean, we've seen this, right? Facebook, back in the day, biggest bait and switch in history, had everyone build up these big fan pages. Then you couldn't reach your fans unless you paid for the privilege. Obviously, All these media companies that have raised so much money. I'm not going to name them, but you know who they are. Oh, 100%. And like, I've just watched people just complain on the gram, right? Like, oh my God, my organic reach went down. And it's like, yeah, You don't own that connection. Build that opt-in email list and treat your email subscribers like gold. Email is one of our most profitable channels still. I'll, I'll give you this little example. I sent out an email just the other day about a new, just a free class that we're doing. And within, it was less than two hours, we had 10,000 people say yes. Now, again, this is something just free I'm teaching. I can't get that on the friggin' gram. Not at all. 
It's yeah. So anyway, it's that's such a my direct email rant. relationship. What is, uh, you know, you probably can't share top line numbers about your business or wouldn't want to, but was there a moment where you were like, holy shit, I made $100,000 in a day or holy shit. You're okay, talking about I... user numbers, but like yes. just to give people perspective on even 10 years ago, I'm sure, sure there were these moments of like, damn, I made $10,000 a month last year. I'm making $100,000 a month now. Like what can you share okay. about those moments that, you know, everybody wants and we, you, yes. they are achievable. They are totally achievable. And, you know, this is a really interesting conversation because I have many, many feelings about money. Uh, I love money. By the way, I absolutely love money. It's clear, like you're 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 stylish and you know how to spend it. <laughs> Thank you. I don't love like a lot of material things. I love experiences, and I love like I take friends away and like love to do things like that. And there's also a, a big philanthropic wing to our company, which I is really important to me. But coming back to the, your question, so I'll give you this answer. This was years ago, and I'm not going to name names, but it will give some context. Someone reached out to me and it was around a particular launch and it was probably like six years ago or something like that. And it was a gentleman and he was like, you know, saw everything you're doing and it looks so great. And, uh, you know, hope you're doing well with the numbers. Like maybe someday you can join like the four million dollar club or something like that. OK. And I got this text. and It was just it was just odd. And I literally laughed because I had done that, like he thought I had done, you know, maybe I could reach that someday. Mm -hmm. I had done that like in two days. And I did not respond and say that because I'm not, I'm just like, yeah, maybe someday. Like, ha -ha. Yeah. <laughs> like whatever I already won. Exactly. That was it. I think, um, I mean, that's, that's incredible. I, what, what am I doing? Um, I have a salary. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's different, right? And it's I do want to say totally that different. I, I self funded my business, so we don't have investors. So you and I have a very different reality in that sense. Um, so yeah, so I just wanted to set that so that totally, which understand. is really smart, <laughs> which is well, also really smart. I'm also uh, like not afraid to say this. I'm a huge control freak. When i did a first book like over a decade ago. I a didn't have a very big following. B I was so grateful that anyone would even want to share my ideas. I started with an ebook, then I self-published it, then I sold it to McGraw Hill. They crushed my subtitle, changed the artwork that I wanted to have on the cover. And Sophia, I was so just like, wait a minute, I know what I'm like. I know my audience. I don't know everything. I want to collaborate with people who are smarter than me. But because they did that, it I didn't want to. I was like, I don't like playing with other people who have control over my ideas. Opinions? What's <laughs> yeah. this? What? No. Well, you know your audience. And I think when yeah. you know that, you you do have this direct connection to them. You know what's going to convert them or engage them or, or drive value them. for them, totally. inspire them. Um, and I think, you know, one thing that is, you know, we're, we're both authors. We somehow... I've, People are inspired by me. That's cool. You inspire people. And those businesses can be really different. And for me, I guess I want to explain like my decision. Like you're very much, you're natural, right? Um, I'm good behind a computer creating a brand. I'm good, you know, writing a book behind a computer. But when I have to be out in front, I do. It's challenging. And we've had these conversations. Yeah. You've actually coached me on public speaking. And for me, it's like I want to build Girl Boss into the thing that is kind of the superpower because if it relies on me, 
like I'm doing the same, like not the same thing. Your business has expanded in so many different directions, but you know, girl boss is such an opportunity that's much, I think bigger than my opportunity to build my own business, which is just not right for my personality. And that's okay. Which means the value that I bring, I mean, your company were you to go sell it, it would be worth a ton of money. Uh, The idea with girl boss for me is like, I mean, I'm not like trying to sell it here. It's just that girl boss powers itself because it's hard. It's, it's a lot of energy and I'm very much an introvert to be the person, the personality that your business relies on. And I think it's important to kind of know yourself yes, um, and know what your superpowers are. And all I've ever done is build, like done this where we raise money and it's, you know, it isn't about me. It's about the product and not that you, what you're doing is about you, but you're it's very, different. very much in front of it. It's very different. So yeah. it's important that even when you see people that are doing things that you admire, maybe you're not, maybe that's not your personality. And it's important to play to your strengths and hire people that can augment like your, you know, your, your like weak spots and the things that you don't necessarily want to do. And that's, that's okay. You don't have to be good at everything. Oh, a hundred percent. And I'm so not good at everything. Like I'm trying always to stay in the few little zones where I feel like, A, I feel great because I am flexing my strengths and I'm providing the most value. And then so my team can do what they're amazing at. So here's one of the things I'm horrible at. I come up with tons of ideas all the time, right? I can be the worst distractor. I can be the one that creates chaos. Um, And so I have to intentionally go against those instincts when I have all of these gorgeous human beings that I work with because I will fuck them up. And so if I just stay in my zone of creating content that helps people and also forming connections like what you and I have and being out and speaking with people like those are my zones of genius. If I get into project management, if I get too into the details, the micromanaging, I'm going to be a disaster, not only for myself, but for my team. So you need someone to kind of take the take the toys away from you sometimes and say, hey, focus. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. And what's great, too, is that we've built the company and it continues to grow and evolve, but that we know it's like, hey, if we can get Marie creating content and writing new things, writing new Marie TVs, interviewing, going on on the road, that's when the business grows. Let everyone else handle the other stuff. And by everyone else, you mean how many? 30 people? It's about 30 people on our team. I mean, that's amazing. That's more people than Girlboss has. Just to put it into perspective, how big your business is, because people see you and they're like, oh, cool. She's doing an Instagram live. (laughs) She's got this YouTube thing. And there's so many people that are doing those things. And they're like, they're solopreneurs. Yes. And most coaches are solopreneurs. That's right. If you're an online seller, getting your orders out quickly can be a real pain. I've done it. You're slapping labels, you're entering addresses. It can be really manual, but not with ShipStation. It's the fastest, easiest, and most affordable way to manage and ship your orders. So ShipStation helps you get your orders out quickly, save money on shipping costs, and keep your customers happy. So whether you're selling on Amazon, Etsy, Squarespace, your own website, ShipStation brings all your orders into one simple interface which makes it really easy to manage from any device even your cell phone we've used ShipStation here at Girlboss because we've sold a little bit of merch and sometimes we send it to my friends and ShipStation has made it so so much easier and they work with all the major carriers including USPS UPS FedEx even Amazon fulfillment so you can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customer 
The Wondership Station is the number one choice of online sellers. You'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. And right now, Girlboss Radio listeners can try ShipStation free for 60 days when you use promo code GIRLBOSS. There's absolutely no risk. You can start your free trial without even entering your credit card information. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in GIRLBOSS. That's ShipStation.com. Enter promo code GIRLBOSS. ShipStation.com. Make ship happen. Okay, now let's get back to our chat with Marie. So, you have a book that came out yesterday. Yes, Mama! Oh my God, congratulations. Thank it's you. called Everything is Figureoutable. It's beautiful. I'm looking at the cover right now. You look great. Um, tell me about tell me about the book. Why did you write it? What is it that you want people to learn? Yeah, so um, the idea behind the book, it's how one simple belief can help us change our lives and the world. And it really is this simple three-word phrase that I've realized has been the driving force in my life and has helped me really meet and, and overcome everything I've ever experienced. You know, in high school, it helped me get out of uh, my kind of abusive relationship that I didn't even realize I was in, you know, getting into the college classes I wanted, getting every job I've ever had from like selling glow sticks and, you know, mega clubs in New York City to, you know, teaching striptease to becoming a Nike athlete to building the business I have to like saving my relationship. You know, I've been in a relationship for 16 years and it's not been easy. And, you know, hitting those hard points where you think you're going to lose the love of your life and getting it back on track. It is this universal idea that I believe can really help people awaken their own innate wisdom. Like I don't pretend to have all the answers, nor does the book, but I am absolutely certain that it can help people find or create their own. It sounds like it's about commitment, not just blind commitment, like I'm going to do this thing and I'm going to do it for the rest of my life, but commitment to knowing that things change commitment to knowing that yes everything is figure outable but sometimes it's not the task at hand sometimes everything being figure outable means changing paths oh totally so I actually have three simple rules that I'll walk people through because people are like wait is everything really figure outable I'm like actually it is and here's the rules that we have in the book rule number one all problems or dreams are figure outable. Rule number two, if a problem is not figure outable, it's not a problem, it's a fact of life, meaning it could be a law of nature, death, gravity, taxes. Rule number three, you may not care enough to solve this particular problem or reach this particular dream, and that's okay. Let yourself off the hook. Find something you do care enough about and go back to rule number one. So that is like a mental container so that if you're like, well, everything is figureoutable doesn't mean that you should go tackle everything. It means that whatever is most important to you, you have what it takes to make that thing come to life. And in the book, you recommend that people start before they're ready. Yes. What does that mean and why do you recommend it? So one of the things I've seen over the course of my career is that a lot of folks have these beautiful things that they want to do someday, or they talk about the business they want to start, or maybe um, a skill that they want to learn, or a change that they want to make in their health or in their relationship. And they're like, oh, but I'm not ready yet. You know, I'm going to do that next month or next year or whenever. And a lot of it is procrastination. Some of it is fear. Some of it is people feeling like they're not qualified yet or they need five more different degrees before they do it. And this practice of starting before you're ready 
gets you into motion. It gets you into the place where you're actually doing things in real life to see if it's going to work or not. Because I've seen people talk about ideas for years and not, I've done it myself. I mean, earlier in my career, I remember thinking about, I wanted to pursue dance, but I'd never taken a professional dance class in my life. And I was 25 years old, which sadly in the professional dance world is kind of over the hill. And I'd spent years talking to myself in my own head about it. And it wasn't until I woke up and go, take a damn class, Marie. And when I actually took it, which was starting before I was ready, because again, I had no technique or no training. And I started weeping in my first dance class because it felt so right. So getting people to start before they're, they think they're ready is a great way to move straight past procrastination, leapfrog over your fear, and get into the doing of whatever it is that you want to figure out. Past the imposter syndrome. Totally. Because, you know, the only thing that is that differentiates you from the people who are doing what you want to do is that they're doing it. Completely. It's pretty simple. Yes. But in our own minds, we don't necessarily make that connection. And rather than like going to a therapist to talk about it, like I want to get people into action immediately. And it's okay. Like I suck at everything I do the first time. Like all of us do. Like every pro begins as an amateur. So accepting that fact, embracing that fact, respecting that you're probably not going to be that good at first and that's fine. Like I tell a story in the book about my first workshop that I ever taught as a life coach. There was five people that attended. My yoga teacher from college, two people that she dragged in off her block in New Jersey. We did this workshop in her basement and my friggin' parents. That was my first workshop. It was so horrible. It was so, I call them douche chills, where it was so embarrassing. But it was the worst one I ever did. And then it's all uphill from there. I think it's important to suck at first because, you know, you, you know, nothing, no one's, you know, gets it right the first no. time. Sometimes that happens and it's scary. And that happened to me with Nasty Gal. Had I sucked in the beginning, I would have learned a little bit more adversity in business to where when it scaled and when it got hard, I would have known what to do. Mm. So sometimes it's a disservice to us to not suck in the beginning. Yeah. So just like try to suck in the beginning. <laughs> Because uh, because that scales much better, you know. I don't. I can't tell the difference between my my intuition or my gut and my anxiety, which is both of those feel like they're rooted in fear. But also, like I don't. Everything's outable, but I feel sometimes stuck. Like I don't. I don't. I don't. I need perspective, and then yes. I ask a bunch of other people's advice, and that's not necessarily helpful. We have to know ourselves. Like how do we get there? Yeah. So this is one of my favorite things to talk about because I think we all find ourselves wondering sometimes. Like, is this normal fear or anxiety, right, that I'm having that I need to move through in order to get to my next level of growth? Or is this a gut instinct or an intuitive hit to not go there? It's trying to save me from making a big mistake. So how do you tell the difference between what I like to call fear and intuition? So this is a really simple test that anyone listening, I would recommend to take this on because it's awesome. So the next time you're facing an opportunity... You know, it could be the invitation to speak somewhere. It could be a business partner. It could be saying yes to some type of investment, yes to some type of job opportunity, doesn't matter. And you can't tell the difference, right? Whether it's just you're afraid and you're playing small or it's really your intuition saying, don't friggin' do this. It's going to be a nightmare. Here's what you do. You actually get quiet and you get still. Go to a place where you're by yourself And I'd recommend for people to close their eyes because you don't want to have your phone around you. You don't want to have technology. You shouldn't really have other people. Then ask yourself this question. Does the idea of saying yes to this opportunity make me feel 
expansive or contracted. The moment after you ask yourself that question, if you're paying close attention internally, your body is going to have a physical reaction. It'll be subtle, but it's there. So let's talk about what expansive could feel like in someone's body. And everyone's going to be different, but it might feel like your chest opening up or lifting. Maybe your body is like moving forward in space. Maybe there's this subtle spark of like Marie Kondo sparking joy, right? It's like, ah, something feels light or bubbly or your head lifts up. Just any sense of happiness, excitement moving forward. That's an indication that even if it's scary, even if there's risk involved, that you should move ahead. Now let's talk about what contracted feels like. So should I move ahead? Like, what does it feel like to move ahead with this opportunity? If any part of you starts to feel like a pit in your stomach or a sense of dread or your shoulders hunch forward or your head even almost subconsciously starts shaking no or something just feels like you want to pull back, that's a sense of contractedness. That's your instinct or your body wisdom telling you don't freaking go ahead. And here's where this gets tricky. Our egos often look at opportunities and say this is great money. This could give me an advantage over the competition. Look at who else is doing this. This is really going to make me get ahead or look cool or get more followers or whatever the hell it is. And it wars with that fact of feeling contracted inside. And so I don't know if this is translating, but I will tell you that when you pay attention to your own inner signals about this, you will be able to discern between fear and intuition for yourself and make decisions with such clarity and freedom. I'm already closing my eyes. <laughs> um, there's a couple questions I ask everybody that comes on Girl Boss Radio. And, you know, you're someone who has done a lot in your career, uh, who also has, you know, figured out how to be in a relationship for 16 years, which a lot of us haven't. Um, and success can mean so many things. Yes. Right. And I think that's something that you talk a lot about. And for you, and, and it's also something that can change in our lives. It what will success change. look like 10 years ago may not look like success today. Yes. What does success mean to you right now? So for me, I have this tie to a Maya Angelou quote, which is a version of this, not going to get it perfect, but success is liking who you are, liking what you do, and liking how you do it. And so that's very general, but it makes me feel good that I can say, I am really excited about all the projects that I'm doing. Like, I don't have anything on my plate that I'm dreading. Even if things are difficult, that um, I'm excited for this particular challenge. I haven't said yes to anything, quote unquote, for the money. And again, that wasn't always true, because certainly my bartending days, I did that for the money to like eat the peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. But at this stage in my career, um, liking what I'm actually creating and then liking the people I'm doing it with, meaning my team. Like, I don't have anyone that's around me that I'm like, ugh, they're a pain in the ass. I don't have any friends around me that are like, oh my God, they're a drain. So that for me is success. And like getting even more granular, um, making sure my relationships are good, like all of them, the relationship with Josh, relationship with myself, the fact that I have friends that I can count on and hang with, if I have that and my health, I'm good. So you mentioned magical moments. Yes. And, uh, and, I, and I told you that we have this thing called Girl Boss Moments, yeah. which we talk about here on Girl Boss Radio. We also have women sharing that all over our new platform. 
a girl boss moment's really a time that's just something that you're proud of in your most recent history. And it can be related to work. It could be personal. It could be I bought a plant for my apartment. What was your most recent girl boss moment? Mm, recent girl boss moment. You know, um, my most recent girl boss moment was giving myself permission to do my event at the Hammerstein ballroom. When I first conceived of it, I remember just going like, I see an event like for the book and it involves like choreography and dancers and music and all this stuff. And it sounded a little wild in my head. But then when we actually started putting it together and it all came to life and it was like, you know, I kind of described it to people like imagine if a Beyonce concert and a TED talk had a baby and then threw a party. But we filmed it. So I will let everybody know when we have the actual filmed version up to watch. So we'll be able to watch it later. Yes. How? If you go to everythingisfigureoutable.com, the moment that we have that puppy edited, we will absolutely share it. Marie, thank you so much for joining me on Girlboss Radio. Thank you for having me, This has been such a pleasure. I adore you. Thank you. All right, that's it for our show today. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Girl Boss Radio. I had so much fun chatting with Marie and learning how everything really is, as she says in her new book, Figure Outable. So I just want to give a big thank you to Marie for coming on the podcast and sharing her story and insights with us. And before you go, I want to remind you that the Girl Boss Podcast family has been growing. So if you're looking for some more podcasts to listen to, and I know you are, we have new seasons of Lip Stories and In Progress. And we also have a new podcast in the works called Mentor Memos, which some of you are already DMing us like, when's it coming out? When's it coming out? You can listen and subscribe to all of them now by looking under the Girl Boss Radio tag and provider wherever you get your podcasts. And you can always follow Girl Boss on social and in our newsletter for specific episode updates. As always, if you like what we're doing here on Girl Boss Radio, please share the podcast, leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, or follow us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. I'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.